Service radio. Full service radio. Full service. Full service. Full service. Full service radio. Full service radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and I love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer, continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. I've been a beer director, beer consultant, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore this beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a different guests from a different part of the beer world, brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, uh, to help us out in exploring this fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you are new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Today, I'm joined on this blustery Monday morning uh, with Aaron Morrissey. He's a staff writer at DC Beer. He's contributed to City Paper. Uh, in his words, he's 5'11", blue eyes, likes to keep it under 200. Uh, and Grant Vaughn, he is a beer provocateur, rabble rouser, and a man about town. Uh, thank you both for coming in this morning. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us here. Of course. Uh, so, Aaron, DC Beer, give us a little, uh, little blurb about it for listeners who maybe aren't familiar. Yeah, dcbeer.com is a source for news and events about beer in the nation's capital. Uh, it's been around uh, for a pretty long time. I'm, I'm actually uh, preparing. I just got an email from uh, the original one of the original founders of the site, Andy Nations, who runs Great Raft Brewing down in Treeport. I'm um, going down to visit him uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, so it's been around for a little bit. Uh, it feels like a very short period of time, but uh, we've kind of been monitoring the growth of the craft beer world here in the District of Columbia and Virginia and Maryland. Uh, Bill DeMond, uh, who is the site editor, unfortunately couldn't be here today, but a big shout out to him. Uh, he keeps the keeps everything moving on dcbeer.com. Uh, and if you uh, haven't heard of us or if you have heard of us, strongly recommend checking out our calendar. Uh, it keeps it up to date with all the events that are happening here in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. Uh, I still regularly use the calendar uh, as, a, as a resource, so I highly recommend it if you're into beer or, or if you're like me and you know, have been into beer for a really long time. It's still a valuable resource. So check it out, dcbeer.com, dcbeer on Twitter. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely use the calendar. It's a nice little spread of all the events going on, both in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, everything. Uh, so I'm going to, I just want to dive right in. Let's do it. Let's, Let's do it. In. Splash in. Let's talk about uh, the new tariffs uh, that are going to be coming down the pike for aluminum and steel. Thanks to the old Trump administration. Um, what are we thinking? Oh, oh, I was first step. Yeah, I was going to say, I think um, there's a lot of talk about it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of numbers flying around. Uh, and if anything, I think first things first is the fact that this has gotten so much coverage um, from a craft beer perspective. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, tariff isn't exactly the sexiest 
word out there <laughs> in the news cycle. Uh, but the fact that this is here and it's something kind of it kind of legitimizes the growth that we've seen in the industry um, over the past couple of decades, that this is now actually a thing where we are talking not just in the millions of dollars, but the billions of dollars and the not just the dozens of jobs, but the tens of thousands of potential jobs that this could impact. Uh, it's a really interesting um, kind of thing as to how it'll play out. Uh, I know that there's a lot of exceptions. Um, like obviously, if you talk to anybody from the industry, like uh, or the Beer Institute, who's uh, running the economy, mm-hmm. uh, the economics of it, you know, they'll obviously tell you uh, kind of the towing the line of uh, you know billion, three hundred billion dollars in impact and twenty thousand jobs, things like that. We don't really know. Uh, there's a lot of exemptions in there. There's a lot of um, obviously maneuvering that the big uh, breweries and conglomerates are still doing, um, especially in the craft side of things. I know Boston Beer, like for example, is obviously still figuring all that out. Um, but also the exemption from uh, Canadian aluminum, uh, which was a huge part uh, that was kind of not going to be so much part of it anymore. Uh, that could have a big impact. And so I think people are still trying to figure it out. But, um, you know, obviously it's going to have an impact. And I know a lot of people in the industry are, are actually thinking a lot about it and how it's going to impact them. You know, I think if uh, Adam Smith was a brewer instead of an economist, he would have had the uh, same uh, perspective uh, as a brewer. He would probably be against these tariffs as an economist. If you read The Wealth of Nations, uh, basically the genesis of economics, he's uh, firmly against tariffs. It's going to be a cost that's uh, passed on to, through the industry to the end consumer rather than the producer. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit more uh, out of our pocket. Yeah, you know, it's... For me, it's going to be measurable, but that's just something about me. Yeah, I feel, (laughs) you know, it's like when you have these little smaller craft breweries, you know, margins are so razor thin you know, and you, you think of these, you know, higher costs that they need to face, that's that's a job that they can offer somebody instead, you know? There's the, you know, the kind of maneuvering that the, the brewer's going to have to do, you know, day-to-day, different operational decisions that they're going to have to make. Um, you know, breweries do so much for our economy, so much for local economies and little communities, and now, you know, it's just one more thing they're going to have to worry about. Yeah, I mean, I think another aspect of this is uh, the consumer side is that, you know, price point in the craft beer world is such a topic. Uh, And like it or not, you know, at the end of the day, price point, whether you're buying at a bar or you're buying at uh, at a retail shop or if you're buying at a brewery, um, price is probably the key differentiator for a lot of folks, especially if they're just getting into beer. Um, you know, if someone who's used to going to the store and buying a six pack for $8 is making a consideration as to buying, you know, uh, a 375 or a 750 for $15 or $20 or even, you know, a $14 four pack of cans, you know, that dollar could make a big difference in kind of their thought, price, you know, their, their, their thought process. And so, you know, it could have a sizable impact, especially for folks that are, you know, as we're kind of kind of cresting this wave of interest in craft beer and um, people are really getting out there and it's going beyond kind of the a niche thing that it was maybe, you know, 10 to 20 years ago. It could be a huge kind of impact on uh, on the bottom line for a lot of brewers, as you were saying, Sarah Jane. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to have an impact. And I, I know when we talk to folks across the industry, like, obviously, you know, it's not something that, like, you know, I don't lead a conversation with it. It's like, let's talk about uh, steel and aluminum tariffs. <laughs> but uh, it's something that's on people's minds, and it's going to have an impact for sure. And you also see, I mean, craft beer has moved into cans aggressively over the past couple of years. All kind of the new young breweries, they're all putting their beers in cans. And the cans, I mean, the designs on the outside, they're getting more competitive, more 
hipster, if that's possible. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like, you know, you're seeing everything in cans. You're seeing cider in cans. It's, it's, it's blowing my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of funny that uh, the last five, six years I've been going around and telling everybody, kind of preaching that the, you know, the can was the ultimate, uh, ultimate you know, uh, container for mm-hmm. beer uh, retail, and, and now it's going to be more expensive. So uh, it's like, well, great, you know. <laughs> we convinced everybody to move to cans, and, and now uh, this is happening. So. And even the holdouts that, uh, you know, still using glass, they're also affected because what's a keg made out of? Yeah. By and large, there are you know, the plastic key kegs and whatnot, but they're going to be affected as well, uh, oh, especially with startup. Key kegs haunt me. Yeah, <laughs> especially with a startup brewery that has to buy all of these kegs yeah. uh, now post tariff. They're going to be paying more of a premium to do that uh, yeah. for the same thing that uh, the guy that opened up five years ago doesn't have to pay. I mean, I think scale is a huge point of this, right? Um, you know, there are literally thousands of breweries that are less than six months old and or are in planning. Uh, and this is the sort of thing that really can, you know, I get a lot of questions from folks who are like, you know, oh, you know, a brewery's going to open in my neighborhood or, you know, a brew pub's going to open in my neighborhood. And it's like, why aren't they open yet? And it's like, of the 485 things that brewers have to go through uh, in order to get off the ground, you know, just adding another uh, kind of thing is, is you know, going to cause some issues. I think, you know, this is like the difference, as you guys were both saying, like this could be the difference between a brew pub opening up in two months from now and six months from now, because then you got to go do another round of investment financing and things like that. So, yeah, you know, it's it's beyond even the, the cost of your can and it's beyond even the supply of can. It goes way deeper than that economically. Yeah. Well, we'll be interested to see how that kind of folds out. Uh, so, we started to talk a little bit about can design. Um, I did a mild hipster dig. Uh, sorry to all those uh, flannel folks out there. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about uh, label design. It has been something that the beer world has been talking about for the past couple years. Um, the Brewers Association brought it up last year at the Craft Brewers Conference. They have changed their code of conduct uh, for brewers, essentially, and I'm quoting this exactly um if the you know the the label is not allowed to contain sexually explicit lewd or demeaning brand names language text graphic photos videos or other images that responsible adult consumers would find inappropriate for consumer products offered to the public Uh, and essentially um you know if some group of people finds this offensive uh, you know, you cannot use the Brewers Association uh, mark on your beer. You can't uh, advertise that you won in the World Beer Cup, and you can't display if you won anything at the GABF. But I still believe you're allowed to still win things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think that the BA does a lot of good work. Um, I think that some folks who are of the stance that I am, and I know that others are. Um, we're kind of hoping they would go a little bit further than Mm -hmm. that um, because I don't, you know, I read that statement and I think if I'm a person who was putting together the sort of labels for the purposes of uh, putting together the sort of labels that may be sexist or misogynistic or or just kind of like gross, like there's a lot of like gross beer labels out there. Yeah, I've I've actually (laughs) had an example of earmuffs, children. Uh, Yeah, yeah, there's a, there was an ESB out there called Leg Spreader. Um, that was from Indiana. I think they, they did re they did rebrand it. Um, and then there was one called horny heifer, which I, I believe is a reference to a hefeweizen, which is a wheat beer. I get it. I get, I get puns. I get jokes. Um, 
you know, I, I mean, look, like the purpose, it, it, you know, marketing uh, is so important for beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you can make the best beer on the planet, but you've got thousands of competitors and a very crowded market space. And so I understand the need for people to stand out. This to me is not a way for people to stand out. And in fact, it's almost indicative of kind of a culture that's happening in beer right now where basically it's just like I'm going to, you know, kick the line and see how far I can go until, you know, okay, well, I'm sorry, I take it back now. Uh, you know, to me, like that just, it, it's like marketing, it's gimmick marketing for the sake of giving marketing and, and uh, it's, it's kind of gross. Um, I, I would say this, I think that, you know, the BA can, has to put out their statement and they have to be diplomatic. I understand that, um, you know, having something like, oh, I can't put the independent craft beer label, like, okay, maybe that's not really a deterrent. But I will say over the weekend, I was looking through Instagram and I saw there was a bar in Seattle, um, a couple of DC expats run a bar called Tech Tab in there. And they actually pulled all of their um, products from Melvin uh, off their shelves uh, because um, of, of some kind of inappropriate labeling that was in their opinion. Uh, and so that's really where kind of this is going to come into play. Um, you know, if the, the kind of point of marketing is to increase your presence and increase interest in your product. And if the, your marketing causes your product to go off the shelves and not be sold that's kind of where the, the real, the, the real change will happen. So. Yeah. I mean, I was, I saw the Melvin thing this weekend. If you look at them mm-hmm. on Facebook right now, they have a two star review. Uh, yeah. Uh, which was, you know, they make solid beers, but when you do these things and you have a, a kind of a, uh, the, 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 the customer responds in this way. I mean, I would hope that the market's able to regulate rather than BA having to step in and regulate it. Yeah. Um, and it looks like, Generally, the market's doing what it should be doing to regulate these sort of people, but BA also has to do it. When you said those two examples, I literally face-palmed. Uh, yeah, no, you cringed the, pretty oh, aggressively, yeah. The, the just still. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't want to buy any of their beers. No. And, and I probably wouldn't want to buy any of their beers anyways. You know, and it's interesting, you know, you look at a lot of the labels that get put up at different examples, and you know, it's like the... You know, scantily clad ladies or the, you know, the tits hanging out and stuff like that. Pin-ups, and it's yeah. a pinup kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, a little, it's a little weird because uh, I'm supposed to be offended by this, uh, you know, especially as a woman. And it's, I guess I've just been like maybe overexposed or like something, but I was just like, eh. Like, I mean, it, it exhausted me. I was just kind of like, oh, God, really? Again? Like, you yeah, know? Apathy. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, I was like, ugh. You know, I'm just you know, obviously not drawn to that. I'm not their market. I mean, I'll go back to this though. I think that craft beer is at a place where, and I mentioned it earlier with the price point conversation where, you know, it's still 10% of the market share. And so, you know, I think right now we've seen such tremendous growth that there's actually kind of been a hubris developing where, you know, folks don't maybe think that they need to expand their, uh, their market beyond, you know, what they have or what they, they're kind of expecting current trends to continue. And I think that's really short-sighted. Uh, and I think that, if anything, craft beer as, you know, from a mission standpoint, but also just from an economic standpoint, needs to be more inclusive. Um, there's a lot of people out there that aren't into craft beer products. And a lot of that is for familiarity or comfort or convenience. But a lot of that is because people don't feel welcomed or they don't feel represented or they don't feel like... They actually can, um, you know, be a part of the community. Uh, and I say that 
fully well knowing that I'm a white man with a beard that hangs out in beer bars all the time. So, uh, you know, when, when I hear people talk about, uh, even here locally, you know, I was having a conversation with someone and it was like, I'm trying to get into beer. Where should I go? And it was like, oh, well, you should definitely go to Church Key, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people were like, well, you know, I went into Church Key once and I was kind of like, uh, it, it didn't feel like super inclusive, inclusive. And I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, come, come. And it's like, that's the kind of thing, though. It's like where people are already skeptical and these sorts of things are just the things that push them push them away a little bit more so i think as an industry we need to be a little bit more cognizant of that mm-hmm. uh and, and make sure that we're we're trying our hardest to get more people into the tent well i want to get into this a little bit more we're going to take a really quick break uh, but we will be right back um beer me And you're listening to Jamal Gray's Nag Champa Art Ensemble. Actually, a live performance at Songbird right around the corner. This is Beer Me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Beer Me. We are recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm sitting down this morning. I'm talking with Aaron Morrissey from D.C. Beer and Grant Vaught. Um, we were getting into a little bit about the lack of inclusivity in the craft beer world. Um, we kind of brushed on this a little bit. Um, kind of bridging off our conversation of uh, sexist and vulgar beer label designs. Um, so you had touched on something that was, you know, that was very interesting in that, you know, there's this stigma that craft beer is, you know, all kind of white men with beards. Um, and, you know, last year was the first time I got to go to the craft brewer conference. And I have a distinct moment of, I was in this awesome seminar and it was totally amazing. I was rapidly taking notes. I was so excited. And I, um, I was sitting in the front cause I'm a nerd. And then, um, I had a moment I turned around just to kind of see like how, how many people had come in. Cause it was a really packed room. It felt like sweaty, you know, and sweaty, was, sweaty, bre- sweaty brewers, no, sweaty no brewers. Way. I turned around and it was just like a sea, just a sea of beards. Um, and I don't know. I've, I've, I, I've, I've for a moment, I was like just a little intimidated for like just a fleeting moment. I was like, Oof, do I really, do I, yes, I belong here, but you know, it's, you know, you're, you're going into a world that you automatically look different. Now it's not to say there's a, there's a, there's a huge female population in beer and it's growing and all the women that I have met and all the women that I know in beer are just awesome and badass. And, but I mean, y- you can't deny that there's still a majority Oh, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and I think that there's efforts that are going on, um, you know, around the country to try and, you know, get more women involved in brewing, get more people of color involved in brewing. Um, and, you know, I think that's a key thing that, you know, I think a lot of our attention now is really focused on kind of the like day to day. And as you mentioned, kind of like, you know, what is the, what's the outrage du jour and, 
Um, but I think that there, yeah, there's things going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I know, for example, you know, here like Pink Boots Society does, uh, does their, their outreach. Um, but we could be doing more and, and there's, you know, no doubt about that, uh, for sure. Yeah. You mentioned Pink Boots Society. Um, hmm. for those of you who, um, aren't aware, it's a society of, their kind of mission statement is to assist, inspire, encourage women beer professionals through education. Um, and they offer scholarships for different beer programs, and there are different chapters in different parts of the U.S. Um, actually, for Women's Day, the D.C. chapter uh, got together, and they brewed a beer. It's going to be released, was it April 13th? Uh, they brewed a grisette. Um, so for those of you who are not familiar, grisette kind of in the Saison family, but definitely lighter in alcohol, brewed with malted wheat. Um, the story goes that this is what uh, was served to the miners in uh, Belgium in the 1800s, and the women wore gray. There are a lot of different stories where the name kind of comes from, but that one's the, you know, brewed by women, served by women, essentially. Um, they, they have 15 uh, different breweries were represented. They brewed at Sol- Solus Brewing Company um, in Dallas, Virginia, uh, and they named it 15 Shades of Grisette, <laughs> which I had to uh, roll my eyes at a little bit. Speaking of things that make you kind of face palm. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, I was, I was reading about it and, you know, it's like I'm so on board with Pink Boots Society. They're doing great stuff. They've got, you know, every woman that I know that's involved in it is just like you know, just awesome. They're having a blast. They're producing great stuff. They're raising awareness. They help women. Um, and this whole thing, you know, we got 15 breweries together. We're going to release it. It's going to raise money. And then you name it 15 shades of grisette. I was, it was like, you know, five steps forward and a giant leap back. Yeah. You know, an interesting thing about this is, uh, (laughs) I was joking the other day with someone and I was like, you know, Port City, right? Port City has a porter. Mm-hmm. The name of the beer is Porter. Yeah. Right? And it's an excellent beer. And I've never heard one person ever say, wow, I didn't order that Port City Porter because it was named Porter. So I think, you know, at this point, we're kind of like, what is it? You know, my mom was always like, don't be too clever for your own good. Yeah. Right? Like, it's hard to name beers. It's really hard. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's, uh, you know, ever tried that process or if anybody's done any naming period, right? Um, you know, my day job is in consulting and sometimes we name things. It's really hard, you know, legally uh, and, and just coming up with something clever and something that's going to stand out and something that describes your product. Um, but, you know, in a lot of these cases, it's just like, just call it a grisette, you know? Like, we're going <laughs> we're gonna to drink it. We're going to go out there and we're going to call it a grisette. Um, you know, so I, I think it's kind of, a, we've, we've kind of pushed a little too clever, um, in the craft beer world. And we, we may want to just like think about pulling it back just a, just a tad, just a tad. I can completely agree with that. Uh, you know, it probably won't surprise you that I haven't read 50 shades of gray <laughs> or seen the movies. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't had the, that. the time yet. Yeah. So. But I mean, like, uh, I sure, I think I shared a picture with you once though, that I found of, two ladies serving beer in the mines in Belgium in the late 1800s and yeah. it just looked miserable. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, like, why not make something that, you know, this is a beer that's served by women to men. Like, uh, why not break something just that they don't expect to yeah. make instead of, you know, this is our historic role uh, and we're going, it's 2018, we're going to continue in that role. 
It's 2018. Smash that roll. <laughs> yeah. You know what's really interesting about this that'll kind of carry this through is this. This is like a, it's a mentality thing. Uh, I think, for example, I was at Brewers Ball. Um, you know, uh, a couple weekends ago, it's great event for Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Uh, and I was pouring at the event, uh, which PC beer guys, we do a lot, you know, folks will ask us to pour their beer, which we're more than happy to do. Um, and we were uh, at a stand uh, and uh, one of the other pours, one of the other brewers that was there was saying, oh, you guys are from this brewery. We actually got a and d from you last year. And I was prepping internally to have this super awkward conversation with this person I was going to be pouring with for the next like four hours. Uh, and he was like, it was great. That did more for our business. And it was like a rite of passage for this guy to have gotten a cease and desist letter, mm-hmm. which to me is like, this is indicative of like, we're, you know, people are just pushing the boundaries to like push the boundaries. Yeah. Right. Uh, because, you know, that like getting a C and D from a bigger brewery is like a vindication of the work that you're doing, um, which I find kind of like strange and like I was taken aback immediately (laughs) to be totally honest with you. And I was like, well, that's great. You know, I guess we can knock that one off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean like that's a lot of folks. I think you see, you know, and it's, it's couched like part of it is like, Oh yeah. Fearless craft brewers and we're independent spirits and we're independent minded. And like, we're not going to take your crap and like whatever. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, you're just bragging to me about having to redo your marketing. <laughs> no, it's it, it, you know it's it's interesting to see kind of how people handle this this good and bad press kind of being thrown at them. You get these canned you know apologies and you know kind of backtrack. It's, it, you know it's interesting. It's 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 this whole you know the whole movement is kind of like seeping into every industry, and I think it's a little overdue. But honestly, I think in the big scheme of making the industry more inclusive of women and, you know, minorities and, um, is the day to day, you know what I mean? Like these big sweeping gestures and these big marketing movements and stuff like that. That's all, whatever. That's going to go either way. You're going to have jackamoles like us, like critiquing you. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's the day to day. It's, it's when you're a brewer at a brewery and you have, you know, a fellow female brewer and, you know, you ask what she thinks first mm. before somebody else, or, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's the day to day. It's, it's considering that person's opinion and, and, you know, more and more you, you, you know, you always see, whenever I see like brewers hanging out together, it's a group of bros, group of guys, you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. you know, when the woman comes up, it's like, it's like, Oh, right. Our coworker. Okay. I think, you know, if I could maybe just, I think we've been, uh, just to kind of go on a positive note here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as as the lines blur between distribution, retail, brewing, um, I think you'll see more um, incorporation of diversity in brewing. Um, I think, you know, just from my perspective, I think a lot of the folks that I've known who are very strong women um, in the industry have come from, uh, you know, bar programs or they've, you know, been working kind of on... Um, you know, kind of the service side of the house uh, and have worked their way through. But I think as, that, as those lines blur, you'll see more um, incorporation of, of other voices, which I think is a, is a very, very good thing. Um, and I'm hopeful that, um, you know, we'll start to see more diversity in distribution uh, as well. Um, I think that's a really key part of it. The folks that are out there actually slinging and selling beer 
um, on a day-to-day basis um, out in the market beyond just, you know, the beer bars uh, and the hangouts that we all go to. Um, folks that are kind of, you know, the presence, I think, is really important. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, before we head off, any, uh, any last words, any last advice? Week, week, weekly beer advice from Grant. Weekly beer advice. Um, wow. Gosh, you got to put throw me on the spot like <laughs> I this. I got to tell you, I, one of the things I love right now uh, in a lot of D.C., uh, Virginia breweries is this getting away from flagships and getting into one-offs like these uh, two cans that we have in front of us, which are also a beautiful label, by the way. Yeah. It doesn't objectify anything. We're talking about the Ocelot. We didn't, we didn't open these. These are just presents. But yeah, it's like little like psychedelic, really beautiful design cans. Yeah, but Ocelot um, and Aslan, they're both phenomenal uh, products with phenomenal marketing mm-hmm. that doesn't objectify anything. And uh, it's kind of refreshing and uh, capping on with what you said earlier. Uh, I'm looking forward to a time when we're having proactive rather than reactive marketing like somebody apologizing for a boneheaded move like the Hefeweizen or something or the SB. Instead, just say, wow, this was a really bad idea. We didn't think this out right. So we're totally revamping this. No excuses. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, um, you know, Ocelot's a great example of a brewery that's doing a lot of really uh, the right things. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you get a chance to go out to Dulles, uh, my wife travels a lot internationally for business, so I always take the opportunity to stop in and um, grab a Sunnyside Dweller, which is their Pilsner, which is an amazing beer. Um, but my, I mean, I always just tell people, you know, drink drink the beer you want to drink. The best beer is the drink that's in front of you, right? Um, and, and we didn't even get into, like, ticking and some other things, but topics for another day um you know just enjoy your beer i think it's the best thing you could possibly do awesome well thank you both so much for coming in and uh on a monday morning (laughs) and uh hopefully we'll be able to have you two back on to discuss some more kind of current events and issues in the beer world uh thank you all for listening we've been recording live at the line hotel in washington dc in adams morgan we record live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Uh, you can find us on uh, fullserviceradio.org, uh, Instagram at fullserviceradio, and Twitter fullserviceRDO. Uh, thank you all for listening so much. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.